right. Well, good morning, everybody. We are glad you're here. I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you this morning yet. And uh, we're going to be opening our Bible in just a minute and looking in the New Testament at the book of Philippians. And we'll be in the third chapter. So let me encourage you to open a Bible. If you don't know where Philippians is, find that table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. and Just turn right there. We'll be in chapter 3 in just a moment. If you have not been a part of our Thanksgiving service before, I just want to add an encouraging word to you to come tonight. It's a great time. We will thoroughly enjoy not only one another and the food that we share, but especially the presence of God and the celebration of what God's been doing in our lives over this past year. So we hope you'll be a part of it. We are in a series of thoughts uh, that we've been calling One Thing. Uh, operating on the premise that as complex as this life can be, it really is simpler than we think. And so we discovered a couple of weeks ago there really is only one thing to know. Last week, that there really is only one thing that is necessary. And today, out of all the stuff you can imagine that you have to do, particularly as we get into this holiday season, there really is only one thing that you have to do, that you must do. That's what we're going to get into this morning. Before we do, I'm going to take you down memory lane for a little uh, reflection. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I began to think about my glory days when I used to play basketball. And I want you to notice that basket. It's got a glass backboard and a metal rim. It is not a peach basket. I didn't live that long ago. And uh, it's not out on the prairie somewhere playing on a dirt ground, but uh, it was in the gym, wood floors, all that kind of stuff. And lest you think that that is me making that strenuous shot, I'm over there looking at it. (laughs) So uh, I didn't want to totally mislead you to think that all I ever did was watch the game go by. So here's another shot where I'm totally in action, kind of in the same place, but look at me, I'm moving. That's, that's me blazing down the court. Now, I say all that to say this. When I was in high school, basketball was the most important thing in life to me. I cannot, if you have never been given to something or someone else in a way that just captivates you and you become passionate about it, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but in those days, I ate, slept, drank basketball all the time. And when you add up or average out the amount of time that I spent practicing across junior high and high school, it's probably around four hours a day, every day, every month, uh, every season of the year. And you go, what do you do with all that practice time? Well, you practice shooting, you practice dribbling, you practice offensive moves, you practice defensive moves, you practice a variety of drills that help you to handle the ball with uh, greater ability. You study film and tape, you watch games on television, you attend them in person and you dissect and you observe and you evaluate and all these kinds of things. I was consumed with it. And there were rewards that came about because of that. So, uh, you know, I became fairly proficient at the game. 
and I was able to win a few trophies and plaques and uh, go and play in some tournaments and have some recognition, things like that. Ultimately, I got a scholarship to uh, play uh, ball in college, so it helped with my education. But aside from all those what I would call lesser rewards or outcomes, is that I just gained the enjoyment of the game. The enjoyment of the game. All that other stuff that I just mentioned is ancient history. But I still enjoy the game today. I still play today. It's still something that is a great source of fun to me today. And I say all that to say this. It's not unlike the whole spiritual realm of life and the experience of God. Now, when you start thinking like that, there are a lot of things to do. Just like there were for the game of basketball. And so you study the Bible, you learn from mentors and study from people. You pray and you pray and you learn how to pray and you pray some more and you learn how to pray some more. You serve God. You serve people. You learn how to steward your talents and your abilities and your resources and things that God has entrusted to you. But when it's all said and done, ultimately it is about one thing. And that is about passionately enjoying Jesus Christ. Now, friend, if I did not enjoy basketball, I would not have spent all those hours doing all that I had done to become proficient in a game. And if I don't enjoy Jesus, if you don't enjoy Jesus, we will not go through all the other things that make us proficient in that relationship and in that experience. And so I ask you, for your own assessment, do you enjoy the Lord? Is there a passion that stirs in you about Him? Are you captivated about that? Do you think about it a lot, all the time, every day? No matter whatever else is going on around you, this is just at the center of thoughts, center of experiences, uh, center of aspirations and hopes. And if it's not, then we're going to talk about how it becomes that way. But I I want to be as clear as I can today to say this is not about you walking out of here today and go, man, I'm just awful about passion and caring about Jesus. That's not what we're about today. What we're about is for us to be acquainted or reacquainted with the stellar delightfulness and joy that is Jesus. And we've got a case study that is going to help us with that, and that's the Apostle Paul. So as I said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, you're going to want to read along with me. And we will start in the first verse. So as he is getting uh, to that point in this letter to Christians in the city of Philippi, he is drawing some conclusions. And so he says, finally, finally, my brothers, 
rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. But look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let me pause there. When he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Be joyful. And specifically, in the Lord, in Christ. Now, you have to recall, when Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi, he is writing from... (laughs) How about that dramatic pause? I, I messed with the guys at the board this morning, and they told me, well, we'll just turn you off whenever we feel like it. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, is writing from prison. So he is certainly not in circumstances that are stirring up joy for him, but rather he is always in Christ. He is always in the Lord, and that always stirs some level of joy that is beyond circumstance. That's beyond happiness, which has to do with happenstance. And so he is able to exhort us. Let us all rejoice in the Lord. Irrespective of our circumstances. And make sure that you don't base your joy upon anything that you accomplish. So he starts talking about dogs and mutilating flesh and all this kind of stuff. And what he's talking about are legalists who are trying to secure their lives unto the Lord by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. And he says, listen, that doesn't satisfy. That doesn't deliver. So crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's, towing the line, obeying all the rules, that is not what's going to deliver the joy. Having your life connected to Christ and by faith having a relationship with Him, that's what delivers. And he goes on to say, now, if circumstances... If accomplishments, if things that you could do could bring that joy, could deliver that kind of experience in life, I would know because I've accomplished as much or more than anybody else. And he goes through this long list of all of his credentials and his resume and things that have been true about who he is and what he's done. But get on down to verse seven. Uh, As he concludes that list of stuff he did, he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I just said a ton. And uh, this is one of those passages that you would do well to go back another time and read and just reflect on so much nuance that's in there. But let me just highlight a couple of things. You know that promotion that you worked so hard to get? Paul said rubbish. That title that you sacrificed for? Rubbish. That exotic trip that you labored and labored for? Rubbish. Uh, Being able to get the corner office, being able to uh, get whatever benefits and perks, being able to do this. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Compared to knowing Christ. Now, friends, we're given to a lot of things. We work a lot. We sacrifice a lot. We pursue things a lot. He says, don't lose fact, don't lose sight of this fact that compared to Christ, it's nothing. It amounts to nothing. And so he says, because that's true, because that's reality, then this is the one thing I do. I forget everything else. All that's been a part of my past up to this point. And I strain toward what lies ahead in apprehending and being apprehended by Christ, by knowing Christ, by experiencing Christ. Now, what's that look like? Why would we do that? And I just want to answer two questions. Why would we strain and... And reach forward, and then how do we do that? So real quickly, why? Why would we strain forward? Paul said one of the reasons that we strain forward is in order to know Christ. Now, see, on one hand, knowing Christ is a gift. God says, I love you. I give myself to you. I disclose myself to you. Know me. So on one hand, it's just an absolute gift. But on the other hand, when he hands us that gift, then we begin to work that gift. We begin to study the gift, spend time with the gift, enjoy the gift, learn of the gift, and so on it goes. So uh, back in the day, when I was in college, uh, I had an Old Testament professor that absolutely wowed me. Did you ever have a professor that wowed you? And I, I, I especially loved it because, see, the Old Testament was fairly closed to me. I knew a few of the Old Testament stories that, you know, everybody knows. But basically it was closed to me. And it just didn't, you know, seem that relevant. I spent a lot more time in the New Testament. But I got this Old Testament professor, Dr. Tom Smothers. And he was passionate about the Old Testament. And I couldn't get enough of his lectures. I took every class the guy ever taught at my college. I took down in notes 
everything the guy said. And some of my favorite times in class was when somebody would ask him a question and he would answer that question, which would raise another question. And so he would answer that, which would raise another. And he'd answer that. And next thing you know, we were way down the trail that was not where we had begun. And he would have such breadth and such depth about this thing way down here that he had not even planned to talk about. I was wowed. And so uh, I took every class I could take from him, and he was gracious enough to, uh, you know, share his time, spend his time uh, in availability. So I would, you know, have uh, lunch with him, or I, I would have coffee with him, and I'd just pick his brain. And I, I would try to get at, you know, why did the Old Testament become so important to you? Why did you not only get a doctorate in Old Testament, but then later you went to a Jewish seminary and got a degree in Hebrew? which is what the Old Testament is written in. And, and why did you do this? And, and how has it happened that this takes place for you? And so I couldn't get enough of Dr. Tom's mothers. When I graduated from college, he left our college and he went to a seminary to begin teaching, teaching Old Testament in seminary, graduate school. Well, when it came time for me to apply to seminary, guess where I applied? And so I went to the seminary where he moved and where he was teaching. I, again, took every class the guy would offer. And I took every Hebrew, Hebrew class that the school offered. All with this in mind, I'm going to teach Old Testament. And when I finish my master's degree, I'm going to go on. I'm going to doctorate in Old Testament. And I'm going to teach in college. And I'm going to do what Tom Smothers did. I just loved it. Now, that is what A.W. Tozer calls following hard after God. Or as Paul would say it, to strain forward to apprehend that which has apprehended me. Because ultimately, I was not just gaining proficiency with subject matter, Old Testament, language, archaeology, topography, all those things that go into that. I was experiencing God. And that following hard, that straining forward, helped me to know Him and know Him and know Him beyond uh, the knowing of Him that had ever happened uh, prior to that time. This was something that Paul prayed for his friends often. In Ephesians chapter 3, he said, hey, this is what I pray for you. I pray that you may have the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The, the treasure that is Jesus is so uh, marvelous and wondrous to explore, you can never exhaust the exploration. And so I, I, he says, I just pray that you'll get in there to all the breadth, to all the length, to all the height and depth. To know him. But here's another reason that we strain forward. Not only to know him, but to confirm our justification. So again, Paul tries to make it very clear. Uh, I did not get my justification by all the things that I did, by performing the law and studying the law and so on like that, it was given to me by God through faith in Christ. 
You go, oh, okay. What is justification? Let me just say it to you this way. Justification is when God looks at you in all of your brokenness, all of your bustedness, all of your sinfulness. And then he looks at himself in all of his holiness and wholeness and completeness. And he says, I'm, not, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm going to take my righteousness, all my wellness and wholeness and holiness, and I'm just going to impute it. And I'm just going to give it to you. So can you imagine this? Imagine that you had cancer. And imagine that God gave me some kind of extraordinary ability to deliver you from your cancer. And so imagine that I come up to you and I lay my hand on you. And in doing so, I remove all the cancer out of your body. And at the same time, all the health that is in mine, I put it in yours. That's what justification is all about. He forgives our sin, removes all that sinful nature and and, uh, stuff that deserves penalty out of us. And instead places his holiness in us, imputes it. And uh, Paul says, that just, that just makes me crazy. I, I'm just so, st- after I've given my life in the pursuit of justification, keeping the law, studying the law, trying to toe the line, trying to be a, uh, something that can appease a holy God, you just gave it to me. And that made him so taken with Christ and so passionate about Christ He just couldn't get over it. And so don't misunderstand. In our straining forward as we follow hard after God, that doesn't earn our justification or our righteousness. It confirms that he's put that in us. And it stirs that passion in us because he's put it in us. And then why? we strain forward and follow hard after God is because we're so imperfect. Paul says, hey, I have not obtained perfection by any means. I got a long ways to go. And so I strain forward for him to work that maturity and that completeness in me. Listen, if you've got bad eyesight... You pursue an optometrist so that he can give you corrective lenses. If you are struggling or failing in certain subject matters in school, then you pursue a tutor so they can bring corrective teaching to your deficiency, to your imperfection. If you struggle with an addiction, then you pursue a program and a group So that in working the program and having the support of that group, you may know sobriety and deliverance from addiction. On and on it goes. Because of our imperfections, we pursue different things. And Paul says, because of my imperfection, I pursue Christ with all my heart. Now, quickly, how? How do we strain forward? How do we follow after him hard? He says, well, first of all, become Thoroughly dissatisfied. You have no problem. I'm there. I'm so dissatisfied. 
Friends, it's important to be dissatisfied about the right things. So, imagine you go to work tomorrow and you have a presentation to make. And you stand before your boss and some colleagues in a boardroom or presentation room. And you begin to make your presentation and you stumble and fumble through it. Then you call your boss by the wrong name. (laughs) And you discover as you come in, this is a rather formal experience. I'm way underdressed. Uh, Your slides, immediately people are pointing out errors on them. And when it's all said and done, you're getting ready to walk out. You discover there's tissue on the bottom of your shoe. Okay. How bad would you feel? How dissatisfied would you feel? You'd feel awful. You'd go home. You'd feel rotten. You'd be depressed. You'd want to crawl up in the fetal position and just like nobody bother me. Leave me alone. And that is not what we're talking about. Because that is pride. And that is 99.9% of what we most often feel badly about, is when we appear incompetent and uncool. And so I'm not advocating today, feel worse about your incompetence and uncoolness. Okay? That's not where we're headed. Rather... I want to have a holy dissatisfaction at the passion level that I have toward Christ. I want to have more passion. I want to be dissatisfied with the level of passion that is already there. I want to feel badly that my heart doesn't beat more for His glory. See, it's not enough to feel badly about stuff because we feel badly about stuff all the time. We must feel badly about the right stuff. About the glory of God. About the obsession of our heart with who He is and how awesome He is. And so the way, the how we strain forward is having a holy dissatisfaction. And then he says, and I forget the things that are in past. Now this is not an absolute forgetfulness, okay? Because the Bible is filled with exhortation for us to remember. Remember the acts of God. Remember how God has come through at this point and at that point and how he's answered prayer and how he's shown himself mighty and so on like that. One of the ways we walk in victory is to remember how great and awesome God is. So that's not what we're talking about. What Paul is talking about is forget the stuff that hinders you in straining forward. Now, sometimes that's guilt stuff and shame stuff and and, and what have you. But I think more than anything, what Paul's talking about is forget your successes, your accomplishments, your accolades, because those can hinder you by creating a smugness, a satisfaction A status quo that leaves me where I am or worse, leaves me further removed from the straining forward and apprehending that which I've been apprehended by. Are you following me? 
So if God begins to stir you, because um, our nursery director, Jess Monkley, happened to say, we need more people to work in the nursery. And your knee-jerk reaction is, you know what, I've done my time with diapers. Forget what is in the past. (laughs) This is not about, you know what, I've, I've done that kind of service. I've fed hungry people. I've served meals down at uh, the park. Uh, I've done the setup. I've done the tear down. I've done the sound. I've done the media. I've done the teaching of a class. I've led a group. Great. Forget about it. Because if he is stirring you afresh about something, then you want to lean into that freshly for whatever new ways he's inviting you to experience him in that today and tomorrow. That's what Paul's talking about. Keep moving forward no matter what kinds of experiences he's inviting you into. And then he says, I'm not only going to develop a a holy dissatisfaction that forgets things that are behind me so that I'm able to, in the third place, strain forward to what lies ahead. The how that I strain forward is pretty much described in the previous chapter of Philippians. Where Paul talks about how God has worked His saving grace in us and now we work it out of us. Work out your salvation fear and trembling. He's working it in you. You work it out. All of that to say this, friends. Your being saved from sin by Christ is not just a one-time decision that you made back when. But it's a daily decision that I make To continue to give my heart, to continue to pursue Him, to continue to be captivated by Him, to continue to seek to apprehend all that He is and who He is. Day by day, rest of my life. The Bible calls it sanctification. Now, I've just said a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, you go, um, sounds like work. And it is. It's that athletic stuff, Paul says, where like every athlete, 1 Corinthians 9, who exercises self-control in all things, discipline yourself. Do it like an athlete. Do it like a musician. Do it like an academician. Anybody that has to engage a discipline for proficiency, do it like that. He says, I I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as if I'm beating the air. I discipline. Sounds like the D word that uh, one of our classes is talking about right now. So to finish my academic story, I uh, am in April of my last year of seminary. And uh, I have... I have just had an incredible experience of study. It was such a different experience for me than college was. Uh, I was hungry. 
I was thirsty. And uh, it's April of my last year. I'm going to graduate late May. And I get summoned to the academic dean's office. I don't know about you, but I just have this kind of guilt complex that's always operating. And I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? (laughs) And I I knew Dr. Baker pretty well. And I had a few classes with him in in ethics. And uh, I liked him. And we had a relationship. And So anyway, he he summons me in. And I go into his office. And uh, I'm like, so what's up? And he says, well, sit down. I need to tell you something. I sit down. And he says, I just wanted to tell you that our faculty, by vote, have named you the winner of the Keatley Award for Biblical Studies. I'm not sure what he said after that, (laughs) because I was absolutely stunned and dazed. The Keatley Award was the top award that our seminary gave away. And it was an award that provided you an all-expense-paid trip to Israel, Egypt, and Greece, including your spouse. It was incredible. By vote of our faculty, we're going to award you that this year. And so I, I say all that to say this. I studied like crazy. I was, you know, absorbed in that whole world. Um, I did get that award. I did, you know, I stood out at graduation at that commencement exercise. I heard the applause of people and I got the pats on the back from the faculty. I later made that trip with Sherry and it was one of those most memorable things that you can experience. Um, There are rewards, right, to discipline. But there's something more and beyond those kinds of tangible rewards. I had internalized the revealed Word of God in ways that had deepened and broadened my experience of God. See, Paul would tell us, You discipline yourself like an athlete. You get absorbed in the whole Christ life. You become passionate about Him. Yes, your sins will be forgiven. Yes, you'll be justified. Yes, you'll uh, receive rewards someday when you go to heaven. Yes, you go to heaven. Reward, 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 reward. But more than all of that, you get Jesus. You get to know Him, experience Him, be with Him, do life with Him. That's the reward. That's the treasure. Somebody profoundly asked the question years ago, if you had the opportunity to go to heaven, but Jesus wasn't there, would you want to go? It's a little bit of a ridiculous question because if Jesus is not there, it's not heaven. But the point is, if you'd want to go to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, heaven's more important to you than Jesus. Heaven is a wonderful gift. It is a secondary gift to Jesus. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. That's it. The one thing. Passionately. Enjoy 
Jesus. Will you develop a holy dissatisfaction? Forget things that lie behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, we marvel that you love us so much, you'd give us yourself. How do we say thanks? So, Lord, we hear your invitation today. To more fully have our heart grasped by you. To more fully put our arms around you. By your grace. Would you work in us so that we would work it out. In Jesus name.